wrapping up the message series today, and I, I read this story a while back, and I've debated whether or not to, to share it with you just because it has to do with baseball, and I know everybody's not in baseball. I really like baseball. But when you talk about forgiveness and the need for forgiveness in baseball, that's me. Because a lot of the antics I tried to pull on the baseball field and pulled on the baseball field, I needed forgiveness for. So it sort of goes hand in hand, but uh, I, I wanted to share with you this story. It's, it's about a guy named Dave Hackler. It appeared in the L.A. Times some time ago, a long time ago. And among other things, he was a part-time umpire in a recreational baseball league. And this is what he writes. He says, <clears throat> I was driving too fast in the snow in Boulder, Colorado, uh, going way too fast, and a policeman pulled me over and gave me a speeding ticket. I tried to talk him out of it. He says, I told him how I was worried about my insurance going up. I gave him all kinds of reasons. I'm normally a very safe driver, but I explained why I was in a hurry and so on and on and on, and it went on. And he said, if, he didn't, if I didn't like the ticket, then I could go to court and try to get it fixed in court. Well, the next summer, very first game of the, the Recreational Baseball League, I was umpiring behind the plate, and guess who the first batter is? It was the policeman that gave me the ticket. This is what he says. So they recognized each other. The policeman recognized him. He recognized the policeman. The policeman says, so... How did the thing go with the ticket? I said, you better swing at everything. <laughs> now, I tell you that story because, uh, not because there's so much to analyze there that's wrong. Okay. I mean, he, he should have taken the ticket like a man. He did the crime. He should pay, pay the money. But my point is that Hackler has a reflex that we all share. When somebody hurts us, even if it's just, we want them to pay. We want to hurt them back. We want to retaliate. And when we retaliate, that builds walls between us and other people. It robs us of joy. It just, it just ruins us. If we let it go on and on and on, it's, it's very destructive. This retaliation is not Jesus' way. This, this is not his way. And it's clear in his teaching that Jesus' followers must be forgivers. It's not optional. Here's what he said about prayer and what he said in his teaching on prayer, Matthew 6. He says, pray like this. His disciples asked him to teach him to pray. And he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this is where it starts. This is the prayer. Our Father in heaven. He is... The God who made the universe created every one of us, and he's impartial. So we start here. Because what happens when we get hurt? God, take our side. Get them. Let them make them pay. Go get them. That, that's, that's where we, that's where we, we want to start. We want him. But God doesn't play favorites. And if you think about it long enough, you realize he has been very gracious to you and I. And so he wants us to be gracious to others as well. He doesn't play favorites. But the, the, the prayer goes on. Jesus mentions a couple other things. And then he says this in verse 12. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. This, this is what we're expected to do. As we've experienced God's forgiveness, 
we forgive those who owe us. We let it go. Now, we may need to pursue justice. We talked about that. That may be right. But we don't make them pay. We don't retaliate. We may need to set up boundaries, but not out of spite. We set up boundaries out of wisdom. And so we forgive as we've been forgiven. And Jesus shows us how important this is because if you don't forgive, it comes between you and God. And he says, but if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. One non-negotiable of following Jesus is that you must learn to be a forgiver. He expects it. He even demands it. He demands it because it's for our own good that we learn to forgive. We tend to resist forgiving because we misunderstand it's for our own good. We misunderstand this about it. Jesus told a story, we, we walked through it the other day, about how, and the moral, the heart of the story was, what he was getting at is, unforgiveness brings isolation and torment. Refusing to forgive is like hitting the self-destruct button in our life. And here's what happens when you refuse to forgive. Unforgiveness chains us to anger and resentment. Uh, There's an influential Catholic priest who gives a great mental picture of the effects of unforgiveness in our lives. And he, he tells a story about a man who came to him for counseling. He was in deep emotional pain. And he was pouring out his soul. And as he's listening, as the, the, the man, the Catholic priest, was listening to the man pour out his soul, he began to ask a question. The question that came to him was the burden. The burden that this man is carrying, what is it? The, the, the man's pouring out his soul. He's in deep angst. He's, he's struggling. And, as he, and, and, and the man, the priest kept asking this question. And as he asked that question, the answer emerged from his heart. His burden embodies all those with whom he is angry. And he is condemned to pulling them behind him. As I continued to stare at the ceiling, the priest says, I I saw them all, men, women, children, emerging out of his long past, chained to each other and chained to him. He was dragging them through life. Unforgiveness chains us to the anger and resentment. If you don't forgive, you'll become chained to your anger and resentment and the joy will be choked out of your life. Forgiveness is a big deal. It's a big deal to Jesus because he wants the best for you. He loves you. And if you're going to follow him, he demands it because it's good for you and I. This is a good thing. Another reason uh, we need to work through forgiveness is that bitterness is like a poison that works its way through a system. So we need to guard against it coming in, and we need to get rid of it when we know it's there. We've got to work through this. A pain pill won't cure it, like appendicitis. The only way to get rid of appendicitis is to get the appendix out of there. And it's the same way with bitterness. The only way to deal with it is to get rid of it. You can't let it lie. Because it's going to impact you. And then finally, forgiveness is so important because it's the first step toward emotional healing. 
If I get hurt in a car accident and the paramedic rushes over to me, what am I going to do? It hurts. It hurts right here. Fix it. I mean, we're, we're focused on ourselves. We get, we get very self-centered when we're hurt. That's the way it goes. I'm focused on my pain. It's the same way emotionally. If I'm hurt emotionally, then I become very self-centered. If I let it lie and I let it continue over time, I become very self-centered. I get defensive. If my wounds, if I just let them fester, my emotional wounds, if I just let them fester and I don't deal with them and they're open, then I, I become very defensive. I don't want people to get close to me. I don't want people to get close to my wound. I don't want them to touch it. You know how it is when you have a wound. You don't, hey, hey, don't touch it. Don't do that. That's how it is. Wounded people that have open wounds, that they haven't allowed God to heal and haven't worked through the process of healing, they have bad relationships, to say the least. They're, they're very, they tend to be very disloyal people. So it's important that you let God forgive you, that you let God help you work through to forgiveness with the people that have hurt you so you can heal, so that you can enjoy life, so that you can get the most out of your relationships. This is what God wants. This is why Jesus makes such a big deal about it. Because he, just doesn't, he just doesn't let it go because there's no way around it. You've got to work through it. Forgiveness is the first step. Toward emotional healing, the only way to make progress is to take that step. And there are two components of forgiveness. We looked at these. There's decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness. And we get confused on this because we think that we can't forgive someone until it feels better. And that's not true. I can decide to forgive right now. I, I, before God. I can make a decision to forgive this person for what they've done. I can cancel the debt they owe me right now. It's a decision I make. And practically, that means I surrender the right to make them pay, to force them to swing at everything, <laughs> you know, like Hackler did. I, I can do that. If you're struggling with unforgiveness right now in your heart, you can decide to forgive right now. Second component is the emotional component. I wrestle in my heart until I experience the forgiveness emotionally. And this may take days or months or years, but you don't let it go. You keep wrestling with it. We, we have to learn to work through it and keep taking it to God as the video replay of the painful memories and the hurt and the regret come back. We have to do the right thing with it. We've talked about this as well. But to wrap up this, the message series today, I want to get a picture of what it looks like to completely forgive somebody. What are the indicators that you have forgiven? And what does that look like? How do I know? And what am I working toward? Because for me, if, if I'm trying to reach a certain goal... I like to have the picture. I like to see where I'm headed, and it really helps me. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these indicators today. First, a key indicator of decisional forgiveness is that whenever you have an opportunity, you show kindness to the person who, who's hurt you. 
Jesus said, Luke 6, 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. This, this is his command. This is what he tells you. If you're going to follow him, this is what you work toward doing. The essential indicator of forgiveness is that there's no trace of bitterness in you. How do we know that? How do we know there's no trace of bitterness? It's gone when you no longer desire to get even or with or punish the offender. And not only that, I decide to show kindness to them as the opportunity arises. Now, you may not be their best friend. You may not spend time with them. But as the opportunity arises, you show kindness. That's what it means to decide to forgive. When I do or say nothing that would hurt their reputation or their future, and I truly wish them well, that's how you know you've forgiven. That's also part of the emotional aspect of forgiveness. The indicator is I wish them well, and I bless them with my words. There's no venom in my speech about them. Your words, I think your words are probably the key indicator of how far along in the process of emotional forgiveness you find yourself. It's a great measure. Because when you haven't forgiven and the resentment and the bitterness live in you, venom flows from your mouth. When they come up, you react. And you have things to say that aren't good. Jesus, in contrast, says this. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Joseph, we looked at his life a couple weeks ago, but I'd like to go back to a moment that gives us a very clear picture of what it means and what it looks like to forgive someone. But Joseph, uh, was his story's in Genesis 37 through 50, um, and he got a raw deal. His brothers sold him into slavery. They were jealous. They sold him in slavery. That was as they were considering their options. Well, let's dig a pit, throw him in it, and bury him alive. Or, oh, no, let's sell him into slavery. We'll pick that option. And so they sold him into slavery. Um, and from there, he was a slave in a master's house. He rose. He, he gained the master's trust, gained a prominent position. Uh, he was falsely accused, thrown into prison. Um, in prison, there were promises made. He was forgotten, overlooked. Uh, to, to put it mildly, he got a really raw deal. He, he, he ended up in some very, very bad circumstances. But Joseph's example gives us a clear picture of what it's like to completely forgive people who've hurt us. It, and, and you see it in his dramatic meeting at the end of his story with his brothers who sold him into slavery. And, and the way he related to them and what he said to them, we get a clear picture of what it means to forgive. Joseph, in each circumstance, horrible circumstances, but each time he found himself in a bad circumstance, he decided, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to be as faithful as I can to handle whatever is right before me right here. I'm going to trust God and I'm going to be faithful. And every time, God blessed that and honored that. And so his brothers sell him into slavery. Set his heart to trust God with that. Be faithful. He had to work through it. You get in the story, you realize he's working through things. But it's when he chose to reveal himself to his brothers 
that he shows us what it means to completely forgive. And you can tell that he's done that. First thing he does, he decides not to tell others what they've said or done to him. And that's, that's the first indicator that he, we learn from him. Do not tell others what the person who hurt you has said or done to you. Joseph had become a very powerful man in Egypt. He was number two under Pharaoh. Very, very powerful. And he was also very wise. And so uh, he, as, as the, the years of plenty were going on, he set aside some supplies and grain and all that they would need in case a famine struck the world. Well, sure enough, a famine strikes. And so he's in charge of all of these supplies. The rest of the world is suffering desperately. And he's number two in Egypt, and they're, they're sitting okay because he's wisely stored up provisions for that day. And uh, what happens is his brothers, the ones who betrayed him, they go to Egypt to get the supplies they need because everybody's suffering through this famine. And they don't realize that the powerful man they are dealing with who's helping them get what they need is their brother Joseph that they sold in slavery. Because by now, I'm sure he looks Egyptian. You know, when you're in Egypt, you do as the, the Egyptians do. So he's got an Egyptian haircut, and he's speaking Egyptian by now. And, and they, they don't know it's him, but they're before him. And they're, 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 uh, this is a part of the dream that ticked him off, but he's, he has power over them in this situation, and they don't know what's going on. Joseph finally, after a bunch of things go on, he finally decides to reveal himself to his brothers and let them know who he is because they, they don't recognize him. And I, it's not a stretch of the imagination to think that the men around Joseph that work for him are by now fiercely loyal to him. And so as he reveals who he is to his brothers, he does something interesting. He sends everybody out of the room. He did that to protect his brothers because if his men knew what they had done and who they were, I'm not sure they'd live through the reveal. Not, not sure it would have happened. But this is one of the proofs that he's completely forgiven his brothers. And it's one of the things we can learn. When we're hurt, it's easy to broadcast what the person's done to us in order to punish them. Very easy. We want everybody to know. We want to announce it. So they're, they're smeared by our comments. Now, we may need to talk it over with one or two fr- trusted friends to work through it, but we don't need to broadcast it. There's no need for that. But in Joseph, you see no venom. He protects his brothers by sending everybody out of the room. It's an indicator that he's forgiven them. The next indicator, don't pour on the guilt. Sometimes we say, in effect, I forgive you for what you did, but I hope you feel really bad about it. Joseph's response is fascinating to me. At, at his revoke, can you imagine being one of his brothers? You sold your brother into slavery, your little brother, and you find out he's the powerful guy. He just revealed himself. He's, he's the guy that you're going to for help. And, you know, me, I'm, I'm like this. I'm going backwards. I'm like, oh, no, you know, what's going on? And they were so stunned they couldn't speak. That's what the passage says. But listen to what Joseph says. 
And do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, this is a supernatural response. This is not a, a human response. This is he, God is help, has helped him work through this whole process. A normal response when someone hurts you is, I hope you feel bad. I hope you feel very, very bad. And I hope you go to your grave feeling bad. And I'm going to help you with that by pouring on all the guilt. I'm going to bury you right now with the guilt. He doesn't do that. If you've completely forgiven, you don't pour on the guilt. And you don't allow the person to be afraid of you. When someone hurts us, there's a bit of twisted joy that comes when we think we see them freeze with anxiety when they catch our eye or when they see us walking in the room. We hope they squirm. And if we see them squirm, a little twisted joy. We think, yeah, you should be afraid. I'm going to make you flinch. Look at what Joseph did. Joseph had already revealed himself to him. And he said to his brothers when they were stunned and cowering, Come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. First John 4.18 says there is no fear in love. Joseph loved his brothers. He had forgiven them. He didn't want them to be afraid. When we've totally forgiven our offenders, we will not want them to be afraid either. This is an indicator of this is what it's like. And then finally, Joseph let them save face. First thing he did to let them save face is he took everybody else out of the room. But he also told his brothers something that is the most gracious thing he could have said or done. This is what he says. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here. I, I don't blame you, but it was God who sent me here. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of his, all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, this is as good as it gets in terms of forgiveness. When we can forgive like that, we have forgiven. Because he allows his brothers to save face. What we usually want to do is put egg on their face. We want them to look bad. But he allows his brothers to save face just like God lets you and I save face. He forgives us. And when, when we do things, foolish things, sinful things, that <clears throat> should bring shame on us, God even takes those things and will work them for the good of those who love him. That's the way God is. He lets us save face. So many times I've cringed and I've thought, Lord, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Oh, I, oh. And he, he graciously weaves in the wrong to his plan. What, what Joseph knows and what he's figured out through his whole experience is he's worked out his trouble with God and he's learned that God has a bigger plan for his life than the evil schemes of anyone around him. He can take the evil schemes and he can weave them in to our lives for good. He can be trusted. He trusted God and he set his heart on being faithful and God will come through. 
He will. It's an amazing thing. Those are some indicators from Joseph's conversation with his brothers that we can, can use to measure where we're at in this process of forgiveness. The Bible teaches that there's a major power to forgive in the experience of being forgiven. God's completely forgiven us. He's allowed us to save faith. And he expects forgiveness to flow through you and I to others. Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's the source of our forgiveness. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Forgiveness should flow from God to me, to my home, and then to the world. That's God's intent. He he doesn't want us to just be a reservoir of his graciousness. He wants it to flow through us to the others around us. I need to experience it. I need to come to him and ask for him to forgive me, to turn around from going my own way and decide to follow him. And then I need to learn to accept God's forgiveness in my life as I deal with past sin, as I deal with regret, as I deal with present sin, as I deal with the wrongs that I do, I need to learn to accept God's forgiveness and then let that spill over into the lives of the people around me. It needs to be foundational in my home. It needs to be a foundation of my home. I determine by the grace of God to make forgiveness the atmosphere, the foundation of, of my home, and I can decide that. I have, the, I have the ability to decide that with God's help to do that. And so when I wrong somebody, when I hurt somebody in the home, I get forgiveness. I ask forgiveness. When they wrong me, I freely give it. It's a foundational thing that creates the right kind of loving atmosphere in my home. And then God wants it to go to the world. I extend forgiveness beyond just my home to my friends, my neighborhood, my neighbors, my work associates, my extended family, even my my enemies, because it's hurting me more than it's hurting them. I extend it. In this way, God uses us to touch the lives of others. I can't think of anything more powerful to live out than forgiveness. And if you're going to be a blessing to the people around you, and this is God's intent. I'd like to just tell you a little bit about Grand Ruth. I mentioned earlier that I was going to tell you a little bit about her. I've, I've never met Grand Ruth, but we're Facebook friends. I think she's about 92. Uh, and I've heard a little bit of her story. I'd love to meet her someday. She lives in uh, just outside of London. And uh, she's, she's definitely a hero. She's Alex Barrett's grandmother, and they're visiting there, as I said. But after her kids were grown, uh, her husband left her, and she ended up having a lot of time on her hands, so she thought, you know what, I'm going to go on the mission field, and I'm just going to go move overseas and help people, come to know Christ and serve them and help them do that. So that's what she did. She went over overseas on the mission field for a while, and she was helping people and serving them. And then when she came back uh, to England, her ex-husband wife, her 
ex-husband had died, and her ex-husband's wife was stricken with cancer. And so what Grand Ruth did is she cared for that lady in her dying days. Every day, she would go take care of her. She lived what we're talking about here. Out of, out of the love that God gave her and the sense of forgiveness, she cared for the woman whom her husband left her for. That's something only God can do in a heart. To lead us to forgive like that. This is, this is not normal. And so I wanted Alex to share. We're going to listen to him share a little bit of his story. Before he left, I asked Alex to share this with us on video how uh, God's been working in his life. And I think you can trace it back. In, in 1 Timothy, you, you, you see Paul traces his faith to his grandmother and then his mother and then to him. This is an example of that. I'd like you to hear Alex's story. Randy's been speaking on forgiveness uh, the last uh, few weeks, and he asked me to share uh, really what God's been doing in, in my life. Uh, related to forgiveness and just wanted to kind of share my story uh, with all of you. Uh, when I was four years old, my parents uh, got divorced and at four years old, I wasn't quite sure what that meant, but I knew that there was this family that we had and then it, it got broken up. And my dad uh, left the picture and really, apart from just a few uh, get-togethers that we had, I, I really didn't have a relationship with him anymore. Uh, my mom remarried. Uh, when I was five, so about a year later. And from that, that remarriage, uh, really I, I, I received a new dad in my stepdad. Uh, he was a dad that was really there for me and uh, raised me, uh, trained me in what it means to be a man that falls after God. And from that, realized, wow, God was so gracious that despite all this stuff that had happened in the divorce and the emptiness that could have been there, and the void that he really provided a dad who, who cared for me uh, here on this earth and I was very thankful uh, but at about 16 years old I kind of came to the point where I realized I hadn't really dealt with the issue of the divorce and the pain uh, that I'd felt you know over the years there's kind of questions that crop up just sporadically kind of like I wonder why that happened and what what was he thinking and why didn't he want to have a relationship with us and I realized I had been a Christian for a while and I knew the importance of forgiveness because God has forgiven me, but I hadn't really ever came to the point where I had taken the steps uh, to forgive my father. And I was at a conference uh, for youth and the man who was speaking talked about the importance of forgiving people and how when you don't forgive, it's like a rock in your shoe and it's painful and it hurts and it hinders your, your progress. Uh, but over time, you can get used to that pain and you adjust. And what I realized is I hadn't really dealt with it, and I had this rock that I was carrying. And I had this pain, and it was something I just hadn't surrendered and given to God. So he had us actually put a rock in our shoe, walk around, and then had us take it out and say, you know, when you forgive uh, people that have wronged you, and when you seek forgiveness for those you have wronged, it's like taking that rock out of your shoe. And that just... I got the picture. I saw, okay, God, this is something I need to do. So at 16 years old, I wrote my, my dad a letter and just said, you know, God's been really showing me that I need to uh, forgive you. And I just want to let you know I forgive you for the divorce and for 
for leaving and um, just want to let you know that uh, I, I've done that. And wrote the letter, sent it, wasn't sure what was going to happen. And he wrote, my father wrote back and basically said, I hope you're well and didn't really address the issue. And I just left it at that. I thought, okay, God, I've done my part. That's all I can do. I, I forgave him and it's time, it's time to move on. Uh, so hadn't really spoken to my father for uh, years and years and years, uh, just through different life changes. Uh, he's not really been a part of any of that. And before God, that's fine. Because like I said, through really the family, the new family he gave me and my, and my stepdad, I really didn't fill that void. Plus just through all the goodness that God's given me. Uh, but about a month ago, uh, my mom called me and said that my my dad, David, would like to talk to me. And it was kind of like, uh, okay, you know, do you know why? why? And uh, she said, well, uh, he called me yesterday wanting to ask for forgiveness for some things that he did, and he wants to call each of you, uh, each of the kids, me and my two sisters. And so I was kind of taken aback and uh, said, sure. You know, gave, gave him my number through my mom, and then he called me the next day and left me a voice message. And I saw the, the voice message and thought, oh, that, that's him, uh, the area code. I didn't know, and I, I picked it up and listened to the, the call, and it was like, you know, Alex, this is, this is David, uh, your father. Um, God's been working in my life and want to uh, ask for forgiveness for the things that I've done. And would you call me back if, if uh, you would like to? And said, I don't assume you need to, but if you'd like to, I'd, I'd like to speak to you. And I knew that... It, Really, the process of forgiveness was not just uh, telling people you forgive them, but also when they ask for it, um, telling them that you, you forgive them as well. And so I knew I needed to call him back, and um, I did. A uh, few days kind of went back. I called him back, and, and um, it was just one of those interesting phone calls when you speak to a family member like your father, but you really don't know each other. And I remember calling, and it was like, Hi. This is Alex. And I thought, I hope he knows who I am. And uh, he did. And he, and he says, hey, what's going on? You know, it's a small talk. It's like, well, how do I answer that? You know, uh, but he ba basically went through the process of what God's been doing in his heart and, you know, asked for forgiveness for, um, you know, abandoning us, asked for forgiveness for uh, all that mess is what he said. And uh, it was just right then I, I saw really in a whole new way the the faithfulness of God uh, for here because 16 years old dealing with that before him and then seeing you know 15 years later uh, just wondering and praying and you know just trying to figure out I wonder where my dad's at in this whole thing and where he's at in life and just seeing that God has just been with him and with him and with him and he came to the point where he he's been working in his heart and he's turning him to to really make some huge decisions just to make things right that he's done over the course of the last few decades. And so I uh, heard him out and just said, you know, when I was 16, I, I forgave you before God, and I really appreciate you taking the initiative to ask for forgiveness, and I forgive you. And I told him, I, I pray that you'll continue to, to walk with God. And uh, it was a few-minute conversation, kind of right to the point, and in that moment, I really realized, wow, God, God is good. Uh, for only He changes the hearts of people after years and years and years. Uh, so I just want to let you in on that um, story. 
and kind of the journey that God's taken me on. Uh, at this point, I don't know what that means for our relationship. Um, we both knew this was just to seek forgiveness, and uh, we'll see what God does. Um, but I'm truly thankful for how faithful God is and, and really for the process of grace that he's given to me and, and my father through this process. I wanted you to hear that uh, just because w- one of the things you see in Alex as he's, chose, as he's decided to follow Christ and walked with him, he has everything he needs in God alone. He, he, didn't, he didn't demand, he wasn't demanding that his dad come back and have a relationship with him. But he was walking with the Lord. The Lord gave him the freedom to forgive him when he was 16. And then just through those years, God has met his deepest needs. We all have things in our lives where people have hurt us. And some have been hurt very, very deeply. But if you'll turn to God, he he will meet your deepest needs. You, You don't need anybody else in this life to do anything. Our knee-jerk is to try to squeeze the life that only God can give from the people around us. And he keeps allowing the frustration so we'll turn to him and ask him to meet our deepest needs. The other thing that you see is, I I think Alex, a big part of why Alex could work through this at 16 was Grand Ruth. And... I want to encourage you. I don't know how he did that. He did that without tearing up. He said he cried on the way there, but um, I don't know how he did it. But I want to encourage you. Go before God. Experience his forgiveness by repenting of your sin, and then let that forgiveness flow. Because that's where the freedom is. That's where you're going to find freedom. And this is what God intends. This is what he wants. He wants it to flow, so let it flow. As the band comes up and gets ready to lead us in praise, I'd like to wrap up the message by looking at some next steps. If you you take out the connection card that's in your program and fill them out, that'd be great. Uh, And then when the offering comes by, you could drop it in the basket. But here's the first step that I'm suggesting. Use the above indicators to measure forgiveness in my life. I'm going to set some, this is what I suggest, set some time aside this week, and maybe you're struggling with forgiving someone, someone's hurt you and you're struggling with it. Set some time aside, go back through those indicators and and try to see where you're at in the process of forgiveness. Pray it over, think it through, and ask God for help with this. If you need to talk to somebody, more mature believer, talk talk it over with them about how to move forward on it. Another step, for the very first time, I'm deciding to accept God's forgiveness in Christ and follow Jesus as Lord. Maybe he's brought you to the point where you're ready to give your life to him, to accept his forgiveness, and then let it flow to the people around you. That's a step you could take. And then a couple other steps are related to the child dedication overview and the CIV preview. If you're a first-time guest with us today, uh, really glad you're here. We have a gift for you. What on earth am I here for is a small book on the table. It's a little taller table through the double doors on the left. I'd love for you to pick that up. I think you'll find it to be helpful. Would you pray with me? Father, we honor your holy name because you are so gracious. You are very very gracious and kind. 
And you love us deeply, and you don't want us, God, to be left to ourselves where we just wallow in the bitterness and the shame. But, God, you, you allow us to find freedom from these things as we turn to you and allow you to be the one who meets our deepest need. So, Father, help us as you've laid things on our hearts this morning, as you've spoken to us. Help us to take the steps and have the power to take those steps that you want us to take. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.